It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Smith rifles that one to Mims. And that's a foot race. He's going to win. Touchdown, Baylor. Denzel Mims with another monster score of 70 yards. Five straight games, Anthony, where he's got a touchdown catch of over 20. That's deflected. And picked up Mason. He'll take it in. It's a pick six and a touchdown. Bell into the middle of that line. And it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder. 85 yards. There was contact with a quarterback and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know and what? it's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studio, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And we are diving deep into all of the draft picks that the Jets acquired in the 2020 NFL Draft. And so I wanted to talk about the most controversial pick of all three days. And that, of course, was the number 125 overall selection in the fourth round. And that, of course, is James Morgan, the quarterback from Florida International. I am going to call him Captain Morgan for two reasons. A, because that's just awesome. And B, because it's his actual nickname. And I know this now because I've spoken to David Drucker, who covers Florida International Sports for FIU. And I'm really glad that he was able to join me right now to talk a little bit more about Captain Morgan. David, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. Really appreciate it. Hi, Scott. It's a pleasure. Uh, Thanks for having me on. And I'm happy to talk some Captain Morgan and some FIU. So let's talk a little bit about how he wound up at FIU. He was at Bowling Green, Dino Babers, who has actually done a really good job rebuilding that Syracuse program, leaves Bowling Green to go to Syracuse. He had been a red shirt. He started for a year under Babers, but then new coach comes in, installs an air raid system, and Morgan doesn't like it. It doesn't really fit what he wants to do, so he decides to transfer. Now, the interesting thing here, as I understand it, David, is that when he transferred, he didn't have to sit out a year like most transfers do because he had already graduated, and he graduated pre-law. So this is a smart kid. Talk to me about the process here of him selecting FIU and then transferring from Bowling Green to FIU as a grad transfer. Well, it's really interesting. Um, the The story of, of how he chose FIU is he sent out a letter to, uh, to dozens and dozens of programs across the country explaining who he is, what he wanted to do. And I think, um, you know, obviously recruits are obviously trying to pitch themselves best at FBS programs, but FIU was the only uh, one who responded to him. And uh, he liked what Butch Davis's pro offense had to offer for him. And so he came in and I mean, here in Miami, I mean, he made an impact right away. Like he, he was, competing for the starting job but then he had earned it about three four games into the first season that he started in 2018 and uh the rest is history so what exactly are the Jets getting in terms of human being because we can look at the tape and we can check out how he played and I want to ask you a little bit about that as well but what is James Morgan the person like well it's funny you, you say that like as a human being because I would say that I think this guy's draft value skyrocketed because of his human being value. (laughs) Um, He is a natural born leader. This is a guy who 
you know, at the end of practices is that last guy carrying the water cooler off of the field. Um, this is a guy who, uh, when he got injured to play in the Bahamas Bowl in 2018, and it was a last-minute injury, you know, he was on the sideline helping his, his backup quarterback, you know, Christian uh, Alexander, um, like learn the plays and coach him through the game. Uh, th- th- this is a dude who, you know, will work harder than like anybody. He's like a, a tape, like he loves to watch football tape. This is a guy who he told me, you know, in an article for FIU External Relations, um, you can read that news.fiu.edu, shameless plug, that, uh, that he went ahead and he practices in the mirror every day, going back to last summer, his throwing motion, like in slow motion, 50 times a day, going back to last summer. So this is a guy who, I mean, his teammates just respected the, the hell out of him, um, and he is definitely a smart guy. Butch Davis is notoriously a tough personality, so for him to be able to earn Butch Davis's respect like that and to attain captain status is probably considered a very big deal among the rest of his teammates, right? Well, Butch Davis was calling him uh, like the best quarterback prospect he thinks he's ever had. Wow. Um, and of course, Butch Davis going back to you know his days at the University of Miami and also North Carolina, I mean, he's coached a lot of a lot of talented players. Former NFL coach, too, as well. Had many years with the Cowboys as an assistant and then, of course, as a head coach with the Cleveland Browns. I want to ask a little bit about Morgan, the player, too. What exactly are the Jets getting here? From what I understand, and I haven't done a ton of homework on him, we're going to have Joe Blewett on at some point to talk about Morgan's film, but he's more of a classic pocket quarterback, yes? Yeah, Scott, that's right. I mean, he, he's more of a guy who um, who has a very strong arm. Um, he's able to make quick decisions, uh, get the ball out fast, uh, react fast to what the difference is doing, uh, the defense is doing. Has no problem making adjustments to the line of scrimmage, um, and uh, and he stays more in the pocket. Um, he has he has some legs and he has some size, and you know he doesn't showcase them that much. I think he kind of. I uh, already understands um, that he's trying to protect his his body. I, he's not one to take unnecessary contact a whole lot, and ultimately he he just plays like a smart quarterback. Sure, you know he had some uh, accuracy issues, especially in this last season in FIU. Um, and a lot of us uh, in the sports writing booth up at, at Florida International University think that that was due a lot to his knee. And perhaps maybe it affected his throw, although he kind of denied that all season long. Um, and uh, being the humble guy that he is, and uh, so so he he's a strong quarterback uh, prospect, definitely a, a pro style type. I got to be honest, and I think I speak for a lot of Jets fans here. The Jets have Sam Darnold, who's 22 years old, not only present quarterback, but long future quarterback. We hope. So Morgan is going to come in here and compete for the backup job with all the needs that the Jets have to pick him in the fourth round. It seems like a bit of a luxury pick. As somebody who watched this guy up close for two years, sell me on this pick. I think you guys are getting a potential franchise quarterback. I know you guys love Sam Darnold up there. This guy is an absolute difference maker. I mean, like this guy will... Listen, this this is a, a guy who was not – at the end of the year last year, this guy led us to our first ever Power 5 win over the University of Miami, our crosstown rivals. That was a huge deal for us. 
Um, didn't throw a single interception, two touchdowns. And, you know, he ended the year with a, you know, a rocky game in Arkansas State. You know, well, we thought he was a little banged up. But at the end of the year, this is James Morgan's draft stock was not that high. However, through the draft process, I mean, all the scouts at the Shrine Bowl said he was throwing better than anyone there. And, the, I mean, there's this story that got published in the uh, Miami Herald, and this really explains why Adam Gase loves this guy so much. Walter Villa wrote that James Morgan was in a meeting with, uh, with Adam Gase and I think an offensive coordinator. And they were going through, you know, tape on Zoom and all that stuff. And Adam Gase was so impressed, he turned to his offensive coordinator and he says, wow. This guy could take your job tomorrow. So <laughs> think about it like this, okay, Jets fans? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a, a positive way to look at this. Listen, if this guy is, does not turn into a, into a franchise quarterback, then he will either be someone you can get value from if you decide to trade him, or he will push the holy heck out of Sam Darnold to be on top of his playbook, to be on top of his game, because this is a guy who is a, a fierce competitor and teammates just love him uh, because of how humble and hardworking he is. And I mean, Sam Darnold's going to have to be on top of his game. Just so you know, David, I don't think that James Morgan could take the offensive coordinator job from Dell Loggins simply because Dell Loggins is well known across the league as the best challenge flag thrower that there is. So James is going to have to work on those skills before he takes over as offensive coordinator. Do you think that he'll be okay being the backup? Because obviously he was the man at FIU. He's going to have to settle in. And kind of humble himself, I guess, being behind Sam Darnold. And also the realization that he will likely, barring injury, never get a chance to play here. At least not during his initial rookie run. He's going to be okay with that, you think? Yeah, he'll be fine with that. He, he's not going to... This is not a guy who's going to complain or clamor for like the starting positions. That This is the type of guy who, who proves it to you uh, in his actions. Uh, who who actually goes out there and and like doesn't complain? This this is a team player you're getting, and uh, of course he wants to start. But I heard him in a podcast on the Dan Lebitard show with Billy Gill in the local hour that yeah you know he's he's willing to do whatever it takes to to help whatever team he gets drafted to, and and now it's the Jets. It's crazy because I'm a Dolphins fan, right? <laughs> like poor FIU's down in Miami. I didn't expect the Jets, but uh, but hey, I mean here we are. I was actually thinking that. If the Dolphins like Morgan, he would have been a really good fit there because it would have sort of mirrored what the Redskins did a bunch of years ago when they got RG3, who had injury problems coming out of Baylor, and they hedged a little bit by taking Kirk Cousins later in the draft, and obviously that paid off because Cousins became a franchise quarterback. Perhaps the Dolphins could have done that because we know all the medical risks involved in picking two attack of Iowa. They could have doubled up and taken Captain Morgan too. I assume you would have been happy with that. Ah, perhaps we should have. <laughs> Good point you make there. I'm glad I didn't make that point before the draft. I don't want to be giving the Dolphins any ideas. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, David. Really appreciate it. Glad that you could help us get to know James Morgan. I think if nothing else, he comes in here and has the potential to be the long-term backup for Sam Darnold. And I think we can both agree, David, because we've both seen our fair share 
of quarterback injuries over the years that if Morgan can turn into a reliable backup, especially at his age and with his skill set, it's a much more valuable commodity than most people realize because you lose a quarterback like Sam Darnold. We saw what happened with the Jets last year. We've seen before Chad Pennington's injuries. You saw the injury to Vinny Testaverde, and you're no stranger to it either with the Miami Dolphins. You've had plenty of quarterback injuries that have set the team back. You've seen it many times. Ryan Tannehill, the most recent example. So if James Morgan can turn into the type of player that you're talking about, it could be a lot more valuable, I think, for the Jets than a lot of people realize. Right, yeah. I mean, you never know how valuable a second quarterback is until you need him, right? And uh, I think I think you guys are getting an excellent player in James Morgan. I mean, he's the highest drafted quarterback in our university's history. And uh, Jets fans, just, you know, let him prove it to you. You know, you don't have to take my word for it. Like, you'll see. When preseason rolls around, you know, when, when you know, training camp rolls around, th- this guy will prove that he is a valuable quarterback to have on your roster. In the fourth round, a bit of an expensive insurance policy, but perhaps a necessary one, especially considering the way the NFL works and how much is contingent on how well the quarterback does. If Sam Darnold were to get injured or something like the mono were to happen again, not mono specifically, but some sort of illness, at least now we know that there's somebody with the potential to perhaps step in and save the day, just like a captain would. So (laughs) Captain Morgan (laughs) arrives here in New York. And real quickly, before you go, David, just wanted to ask, what is the genesis of the Captain Morgan nickname? Or more specifically, at what point did people realize how awesome of a nickname that was going to be? Right, so he came in an FIU. I think his Twitter handle is like JMoney12. And it's like, all right, this guy needs a nickname. This guy's going to be our starting QB. And to me, it was just so obvious. Like, this guy is, number one, a captain of the team. Number two, his last name is Morgan. I mean, number three, this guy stands up there. He just ha- kind of has, like, you know, this this charisma, you know, answers questions confidently, concisely. And I'm like, this guy is the captain, Captain Morgan. Uh, and it, I mean, come on, it, it's just like, uh, it just, it just fits. I mean, it's, it's a natural thing for him and it kind of caught up here at, uh, at FIU and, uh, I'm hoping that, uh, Jets nation, um, gets to, uh, gets to continue on the tradition. Fingers crossed that he ends up being a real asset here for the Jets. David Drucker covering mm-hmm. FIU sports for Florida International University. Thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Before you run, let everybody know where they can find your work and where they can get a hold of you on social media. Sure, Scott. My handle on Twitter is at FIU Sports Guy, and my website is news.fiu.edu. And Jets Nation, don't forget Jimmy Garoppolo. He went to Eastern Illinois, so you Mm -hmm. never know with these G5 programs and these quarterbacks. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. We are talking about all of the prospects that the Jets drafted in the 2020 NFL Draft. And one of them is Cameron Clark, the offensive tackle slash offensive guard. We think he's probably going to play guard at the next level. From UNC Charlotte, he went in the fourth round, pick number 129. A lot of people excited about this pick because they feel like he has the potential to be a long-term starter at guard. Played really well against Clemson. That's what everybody knows him for. So we're going to get into that with two people who covered him pretty closely. Sam Palian, she is the sports editor at the Niner Times. And also Cooper Metz, who's the lead Football writer for the Niner Times. Guys, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having us. 
Sam, let's start with you. What's the first thing that you think of when I say the name Cameron Clark? You know, I think just overall that he's just a really tough guy. And I think one thing I remember uh, really well about him is um, we previously had the late Phil Ratliff as offensive line coach, and he's really what convinced Cam Clark to come to Charlotte. He had originally planned on App State, and after talking to Coach Phil Ratliff, he ended up deciding, you know, that Charlotte was the place that he would be able to call home, that he'd feel comfortable, and that he thought he could really grow as a player. And that's just a really good testament to, you know, what Charlotte football is about and why it draws in these players that are going to make it to the next level. And that's just something that um, sticks out to me about Cam Clark, that, you know, he picked this smaller program where he was a really good prospect college-wise, at least for some of the smaller schools coming out of high school. And, you know, Charlotte itself, isn't drafting a whole lot of people and we're kind of moving into that place where Charlotte is producing some better guys now. He did have some options, not only Appalachian State, but also James Madison and Old Dominion. But instead, he decided to stay close to home. Greensboro, North Carolina is where he's from. So he's a local boy and he went to UNC Charlotte. Now, Cooper, let me ask you this. You covered him pretty closely, too. Do you have any interesting stories, any interesting interactions? What do you think of when you hear the name Cameron Clark? When I think of Cameron Clark, I definitely think of leadership. And I remember one time it was, it was either before the UTEP. Yeah, it was before the UTEP game. Um, we were pretty close to bowl eligibility, which was our, you know, the first time that we became bowl eligible. And I remember him at the press conference. He he spoke about how, you know, we got to keep, we got to stay focused. We got to take it one game at a time just because we're close. Doesn't mean we have it. We've been in this position before and, and not, you know, finish it out. So um, I definitely think of leadership. He's definitely a vocal guy in the locker room and he, you know, garners the respect, respect of his teammates with his vocal leadership and also with his work ethic. Sam certainly sounds like he's a guy that commands the attention of a locker room. And you look at what he did when he was there. He was the offensive MVP as a sophomore, despite only starting eight games. I think that says a lot about him, right? It definitely does. You know, um, he had his redshirt season and, you know, then stepping up like that was a really big deal for the team. I think at the time, you know, because if you look, you know, at the stat lines, especially with positions like this, obviously, you know, there's a lot that can go unnoticed. And I think especially in that short amount of games, you know, he really put himself on the map, especially for the team to say, hey, you know, I'm going to be someone that's going to really contend for this team and, you know, put guys on the ground for you and keep them out of the way, make sure that I'm doing what I need to do when I do it. And not just not just the stuff that's, you know, going to say, oh, Cam Clark had a big block or something like that. Just in general, he really stepped up, I think, in a big way that he continued to do and continue to develop at Charlotte and got a lot better as far as, you know, okay, he turned into this vocal guy, but he also made sure that, you know, they saw him when he wasn't being loud, too. He was a team captain, just like every single player that the Jets picked on day three, so clearly a pattern here established by Jets general manager Joe Douglas. Cooper, I thought it was interesting that he was a captain both his junior and senior seasons. You talked about the respect that his teammates had for him. What was the relationship like between Clark and the coaching staff? Um, I think they definitely had a pretty pretty strong relationship, uh, especially with Coach Healy. Um, I know that he looked to him, or Coach Healy looked to Cameron Clark for for a lot of leadership and to you know talk to other players. And then also just you know on the offensive line, uh, coaches looked to him to kind of kind of lead the group 
and I think they he definitely stepped up and they look they looked to the right place for that leadership. Sam, everybody was talking about him after that Clemson game, or I should say that's what he's known for. He played really well against the defending national champions. What do you remember about that performance, and did he have anything in particular interesting to say when talking about it after the game? I did actually go to that game, so it was, I mean, for one thing, overwhelming. You know, hadn't really been in that kind of environment before, and I think that was a big thing for the team as well, and especially for players like Cam that, you know, between – their leadership roles and being able to have that platform that, you know, that's why everyone knows some of those players from Charlotte, you know, between what Alex Highsmith did and what Cam Clark did at that game against this team, this, you know, national championship program that, you know, everyone thought, okay, Charlotte's playing them. That's not going to be a big deal. But Cam Clark was, you know, pushing people back left and right, you know, reading the options, everything, just making sure that, you know, he was utilizing the platform and making sure that they're making the most of it, learn, taking it as a teaching experience. But obviously, you know, he, half of his highlights are from that game because more than more than in most other games, you know, he was going to, okay, there's against Middle Tennessee or, you know, UTEP, some other smaller program teams, obviously, that he was going to do better against regardless. But playing against a team like Clemson, you know, that was – not necessarily surprising, but definitely um, impressive. And that's obviously why that's become a big part of the talk. But I think more importantly than Clemson, there were games like Middle Tennessee, where the entire office, offensive line, you know, our quarterback, Chris Reynolds, he brought them all at his press conference. And I mean, it's just, you know, there's usually maybe two or three guys and then the head coach at the press conferences. And to have all of them there at that game, quarterback was really trying to make a statement that these guys go really unnoticed. You know, their stats are block kicks, tackles, sacks, but, you know, the tapes are what are so important, and that's really been evident over this draft and with the pick of Kim Clark because, you know, with these guys from Charlotte, you really need to be able to see the whole picture, and I think you got a lot more of that from Kim Clark at Clemson. Cooper, let's talk a little bit more about his playing style because Sam just talked about what he did against Clemson and the style of play, but Beyond that, she mentioned a couple of other games, and I wanted to delve in a little bit. For those that are unfamiliar with Cam Clark as a player, what are the Jets getting exactly? Talk to me about his playing style and what Jets fans should expect to see on the field. Well, he's definitely a very strong um, the, the run blocker. Uh, he, I mean, anytime you watch Benny LeMay highlights, which, were, which he was our running back, um, you see Cameron Clark five, six yards down the field, you know, He's, after he's blocked his defensive lineman, he's go, going downfield and getting a linebacker. Um, and he he's always making running lanes for Benny or Aaron or whoever is in the backfield. Um, so he's definitely a really good run blocker, and he's he's at that you know NFL level of of run blocking, um, pass blocking. He does you know that there are areas that he can improve in, and pass blocking is definitely one. You look at a game like Western Kentucky, you know um, they played. D'Angelo Malone, who who eventually became the Conference USA Defensive Player of the Year, um, he gave up two sacks to him. So you know you're going to be playing players as good, if not better, than Malone every day on Sunday. So if he's if yeah if he's going to be protect, protecting Donald's blind side, he's definitely got to uh, improve pass blocking wise. But run game, he's definitely there. He's definitely ready to to play against NFL cal- caliber uh, defensive linemen. In, in the run game, which is, you know, 
good for y'all because or good for the Jets because they have Le'Veon Bell and they'll, they'll lean on him. So yeah, he's definitely ready as a run blocker. Sam Cooper just talked about how Cameron Clark is ready as a run blocker but needs some work as a pass blocker. And that is going to be a process. It's not going to be something that happens overnight. He's going to have to really bust his butt to make that happen at the next level. What did you observe from Cam Clark in terms of work ethic when he was at UNC Charlotte? Do you think that he's going to be able to do that? Do you think that his work ethic will translate to the NFL? I do think it will. Um, you know, he's a big, you know, tough and determined guy. And, you know, while he's a big guy and that's good and, you know, he's good on the the block, but he can get high on the pads. He can be a little stiff. Ultimately, those are things that either can be developed or improved upon or a scheme can adjust along with that added, added development to use him as the weapon he can be. And, you know, he's talked about how, you know, growing up, he would not have expected this to happen. And, you know, guys at Charlotte are often just grateful to be there. And, you know, but then there's players like Alex Highsmith and Benny LeMay who didn't get the attention coming out of high school. And Cam got a little bit more, obviously, but, you know, part of the reason they picked Charlotte is because of the family and because of how they're going to develop. And I think um, we talked last August with the program about how, you know, I said Rome wasn't built in a day for them. You know, they were three and five and one and three in the conference at the time, I think. And I think he's used to, you know, being the lower player on the totem pole, you know, they're part of the lower, (laughs) pretty much an underdog. Um, And, he's really gotten a lot of experience from, you know, being in that position to working to be one of the more nationally recognized. And, you know, that's what's gotten him to the draft. That's what's gotten him to this position. And I think even if he's not maybe going to be hitting the field as a starter right, right away, he'll do what it takes to get there. And even, you know, earlier on, he'll be able to contend, um, I think, sooner than people think. Cooper, what can you tell me about his background? Because we know that he's a local kid. He's from Greensboro. But what do you know about his relationship with friends and family? Has he talked about that a lot? He hasn't touched on it much, but I will say, you know, he's a good, uh, he's definitely a good representative of, you know, Greensboro and then also of Charlotte, not just the university or not just the, the football team, but also the university. He uh, carries himself well in, in press conferences. He speaks uh, very well. He knows, you know, the right things to say. So, um, you know, his family definitely was a, a big part of, you know, making him into who he is today and same for his friends and, and coaches and so on. Sam, obviously very different when we're talking about UNC Charlotte and Greensboro and New York. Very, very different. If he comes here, let's say he misses a block, there could be screaming fans waiting for him in the parking lot. I hope not, but I've seen crazier here. You could have him on the back pages. He could be the scapegoat. They could be talking about him on talk radio. We're talking about the bright lights and the big city. This is a small town kid. How do you think he would do in New York? Um, You know, obviously anything like that's going to be an adjustment, especially for a player that's not used to quite as much attention. Um, we've gotten a lot more over the past year, but definitely, um, an adjustment overall. But I think that, you know, a big part of the culture at Charlotte is that, especially this year that, you know, Coach Hilly wanted to create a sense of urgency to win, but also just a culture that, you know, creates winning that lasts both as people and as players. And more than anything, they've taught them, tried to teach them more so how to be good men. And especially, you know, after Coach Healy got here, that's just been a big, um, thing and I think they've tried to give them the tools to succeed uh, not only in football but in life so I think that that's 
something that, you know, maybe could be a struggle for anybody that's adjusting to going from college to the NFL, but definitely um, something that they've done their best to prepare players like Cam for. Cooper, Cam Clark is going to come in here and he's going to play for Adam Gase, who's a notoriously difficult personality. It's very easy to get into his doghouse, and then sometimes people don't even find their way out of it. And if you want a tutorial on that, you could go ahead and you can call Jarvis Landry with the Cleveland Browns. He'll tell you all about it. There are several other players as well. How do you think that he would be able to deal with a personality like Adam Gase? you think he'll be able to get along? I do. He's, he's very, you know, charismatic. He's easy to get along with. And, um, you know, he's a, I mean, he's a hard worker. So I think it would be difficult for him to get in the doghouse. Not impossible, you know, people make mistakes. But I think – I don't think it will be an issue for him handling, uh, you know, a difficult coach. He's, you know, pretty pretty all-around solid guy. So, yeah, I think it would be – I think it will be fine. Sam, you said you're not sure he will be a day one starter. He'll have the opportunity at least to compete. How do you think this ultimately turns out? Do you think he has any chance to be a day one starter in long term? How do you see this? Do you think he's going to succeed at the next level? I definitely think he's going to succeed at the next level. You know, there are obviously things that, you know, any player coming in to work on, you know, he's pretty well-rounded, but there are things that, you know, he'll need to adjust as far as, you know, there are even things like some of the rules that adjust a little bit, but, um, you know, penalty-wise, things like that. But I do think he has the potential to still, you know, become a starter right away. But especially with, you know, everyone's different thoughts about it, it can be tough. But I think he's got a good sense for when and where to be on the field. And um, especially if he's, you know, it looks like he might move inside to guard. You know, there's been the whole talk about his relationship with Mekhi Becton already. And that's definitely a plus, you know, something that the Jets will really um, benefit from, you know, having that relationship on the offensive line and building that really well. And I think that overall, you know, player-wise, person-wise, he's definitely going to make the most of his opportunity. And if for whatever reason he, you know, doesn't end up in that starting spot earlier than later, then, um, you know, he's not going to be the only reason for that. You know, he's going to definitely – work as hard as he can to get there as soon as he can. Jets fans right now are looking at Cameron Clark and Makai Becton and hoping that they can be two centerpieces of this offensive line for many years to come. And I'm a lot more confident that that's going to happen now that I had the opportunity to talk to Sam Palian, who is the sports editor of the Niner Times, and Cooper Metz, who's the lead football writer for the Niner Times. Guys, thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Before you run, why don't you go ahead and let everybody know where they can find you, where they can read your work. Sam, you go first, and then Cooper, you go after her. Yeah, on NinerTimes.com. We, in our sports section, there's plenty of work from definitely from Cooper and some from me as well. Just NinerTimes.com in the sports section. Um, you can click on our name and it should pull up a great deal of stories. Uh, same place for me, NinerTimes.com. Go ahead and check Sam and Cooper's workout at NinerTimes.com. And if you haven't given us a five-star review on iTunes yet, if you could go ahead and do that for us, really appreciate it. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. It doesn't take you much time. It doesn't cost you any money. But it goes a long way to help us out. So if you could do that for us, we would be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.